Welcome, welcome to another episode of The False Neutral, your favorite and not coincidentally the only motorcycling podcast on the Hooniverse Network. I am Garrett and I'm joined as always with Pete and Eric. Guys? Our guest today uh, is a friend of the podcast, uh, Wayne Moyer, who was here a couple weeks back and is joining us again because as you're listening to this... It's Flag Day, and Flag Day is kind of the Aquaman of national holidays. Nobody says, gee, do you remember as a kid all those great holiday parties and barbecues for Flag Day when your mom was taking you out and shopping for your new Flag Day (laughs) clothes? So we're going to celebrate Flag Day with an all-American version of our podcast today. And... Uh, Wayne is our resident Harley owner and American enthusiast, and he is to he's here to beat up on Garrett's yeah. communist foreign hate of uh, <laughs> of American V twins. So yeah, uh, we're going to talk and- about the state of the American motorcycle industry. I feel like I should clarify. A little bit of my hatred for American V-Twins. So what I don't like are big, bulky, heavy, underpowered motorcycles. And I get that not every American V-Twin fits this description. And that plenty of other non-American manufacturers make bites that fit this description just as well. But American manufacturers don't deviate from this model very often. And to be clear... I only said that I hate them, and not that they're terrible motorcycles, or that there aren't things to like about them. It's just that you don't like any of the things about them. You know, with American V-Twins, tradition is their driving force, and that's great. But I just appreciate more motorcycles that have consistent refinement and a little bit more precision. And it's the reason that I like Formula One more than NASCAR. And it's not to say that I hate all American V-Twins or that I don't hate other types of motorcycles that fit this description either. I do really like the new Harley Roadster. I like some of the overhead cam liquid-cooled American V-Twins. I like the styling of Victory's motorcycles, especially the Magnum X1. Um, But you know what I like a whole lot more are the Yamaha V-Max and Ducati X Diavel and some of the other ones. But... I don't know if that clears anything up, or if you hate me just slightly less now. No, but... We're all entitled to our opinions. I mean, this is the thing. <laughs> I've had a chance to own an inline four Japanese bike, a parallel twin Japanese bike, a V twin Japanese bike, and two very different V twin Harleys. And, yeah. You know, so I've had a chance to try out the the spe- You know, um, the one thing I haven't owned is anything British, which is kind of interesting because the answer yeah. to your what was unobtainium question from last week would have been a Triumph, which was one of yours as well. So. Uh, it's because I own a Spitfire, so I would have gone to a Triumph as well. But on hey, the, go ahead. I own an MGB. <laughs> oh yeah, I got my '74 Spit in the garage. Okay, yeah. I have to ask you guys, and and this, just real quick, I'm I'm gonna deviate away from motorcycles for a minute to ask you guys, TR7, yes or no? Absolutely yeah. no. Yes, <laughs> completely all across the board. Yes. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. TR8, yes. TR7, TR8, yes. Okay. TR7. Yes, minor. TR7 yes, minus with, with, well an LS, stop. with an LS swap. Oh my God, no, 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 no. no. Sw- swaps are supposed to stay within the same brand. If you're going to do no, 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 no. Swaps, okay, so- hot rods. Going back even to like to the 1920s and 30s, it's always what's the best engine to go with. What's the best chassis? Doesn't matter if it's been cars or motorcycles. Hello, Norvit and you know Norton frames with Triumph, Norton, you know whatever. Or an AC co- Cobra with a, a 289 in it. Yeah. yeah or uh, an Ace chassis. So, yeah. But, okay. So, going back to the V-Twins, the the thing here is uh, – oh, and yes, TR7s, yes. But g- going to the V-Twins, 
uh, like I said, I've had a chance to own a, several of them. Unfortunately, one that had that I rather liked a lot that had a lot of issues, and this other one that's uh, brand new that I'm still still learning. And what it is is, it's not you're 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 entitled to your opinion. If you like a European bike, that's fine. It's the same people who buy Miatas instead of those of us who don't want to be able to get from between point A and point B without having to worry about the oil level in our cars. So whether the race, the rust is going to just snap in half on the frame. So it's, it's kind of that same attitude where, um, there is something to, unfortunately with it, with the V twin, the, the Harley culture, I wasn't part of the Harley culture. I've never have been. I never intend to be. I don't know. I don't have a tattoo. The, and when I had my street, there was very much not a case of, of a Harley culture there because they, there was no, they didn't even say Harley, just had the shields. So, and the people looked at me like you're driving it. Now, Victory, I had the oddest, what would be considered by most, a love or hate it design. If you want to go about American designs going out on being different, I had the Vision Tour, which is an Arlen mm-hmm. Ness design. And uh, I called it a, um, it was a Art Deco spaceship. Yeah, that's and what was great about that bike was it's the same thing about hounding a Harley with the, with the victory. I always got you know people always stopped and looked and were asking questions. So you, you mentioned it earlier because you tried to cover every single base. The competition when I bought my Boulevard, uh, which is again 800 cc V twin, was uh, I, w- I shopped it against the Sportster, and the reason I bought the Sport I bought the, the Suzuki was because it was twenty three hundred dollars less. Yeah. Than a Sportster, you pay a premium for Harley, but from the technology standpoint, the Harley even in 2007 was actually technically superior to the Suzuki in 2007. They both had the same horsepower, which again you mentioned. They were both right around 40, which is nothing to write home about, but about a you know about the same level. It's it's nothing to write home about, but they were equal. And you'd find the same thing again in a Honda with the American Classics, or you'd find it with um, most of the manufacturers when they when they copy uh, the Harley look. But it's the torque. That's what gets you. Um, the sports V-twin was tuned for high RPMs, where the high being relative, let's say high for Harley, and where the Sportster is definitely, you know, I spend my life in the Sportster at 2,500 to 3,500, which is, would be a joke. Even on the Victory, that would have been a joke. The Victory was also, you know, as with all Victories, they use one engine for the entire line. Right. So, when you have a Vision Tour, which is a cruiser, you need a bike that's heavily on torque. Well, that's great. It's 100 pound-feet of torque. That's wonderful. It's at the top of the of the revs. The, of the revs. I'm never getting there. I'm going to be graining, shifting this thing entirely. So it's just – so what is it about American V10 Twins? It's the torque. It's all about the torque. Now, that right. doesn't mean when I was riding my Vision, I wasn't looking at the BMW um, – matter of fact, the 1200, which he mentioned as well. And sitting there going, okay, it's $2,000 more for the BMW, and it has twice the horsepower my Victory does. Not only yeah. that, it has water cooling, and it's got you know, uh, not as, a few more gas than my Victory did, but not by much. But yeah. So there is that kind of – what's I, that? I have to say one of the things I really like about the Rotax V-Twin is that it doesn't act like a V-Twin. That you know you can – it doesn't it, – it's really not comfortable bl- below three grand. And it is the real nice part of the power band is four to seven thousand RPM. Mm-hmm. And, Which I saw that when I owned the uh, when I had my GS five hundred, the parallel twin wasn't happy down low. But the, every other, all the other three V twins. Well, I take that back. The street was the same way. The street wasn't happy below three thousand either. But innovation wise. Uh, I'll go back to the street here for a second because the street is water cooled and it is a V twin, and it is a smaller engine by Harley standards and even by standards of this podcast at 750 cc or 500 for the lower ones. You did mention the 400 last week, but in general for Harley 500 c 750, they are trying different. They are trying new. I mean, this is a completely. It's almost as much a throw out as a, a pass out there as much as the um, V rod was, which is another yeah. bike that tried innovation and failed miserably it's too big for a muscle cruiser it's wildly too big for a muscle cruiser it's too big it's too heavy can't handle um except for the again nice choice last week on the sc version of it but you run into these same things wherever harley tries to be different they fail except that i think you nailed it with with the live wire that it's going to be a success if they produce it or something like it and i talked to some gentlemen at work about that and the interesting thing is uh 
Harley's being very tight-lipped about what future plans, but there are interestingly uh, a lot of job listings for people who are electrical engineers with uh, battery technology experience that they're hiring. Go. So, uh, yeah. And and when that, they came out with it, they said the live wire wasn't going to go in production because they did not think the price to the the cost to performance ratio of the batteries was where it needed to be for it to be commercially viable. And they didn't want to come out with a flop. They really wanted to wait until the technology caught up to the point where people were really going to get it and be really satisfied with it. And I can and I can really appreciate that's got to be a when you're talking about totally new technology. You know, we can all go back and look at the Apple Newton. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> sold those new. You know, yeah. uh, I was involved with a company that that was writing software for them, and they were just, it technology just wasn't there yet. And they kind of knew it, and they rushed it out anyways because they wanted to be first, and it really kind of bit them. I think I'm kind of very understanding of Harley saying, no, let's, let's, this is a marathon, not a sprint. We don't need to be first to market. There's already electric motorcycles out there. Let Polaris buy yeah. Ramo and let Zero do their thing. We're going to try and make sure that when we bring it, it's a mature product. They, they, they don't, they, they don't need to produce a product right this second but they do need to be on top of development because the future is going to hold electric motorcycles that is a fact now and they they are doing that yeah exactly and so that's good they i'm i'm glad to see that they're investing in the jobs giving um you know putting listings out for jobs for electrical engineers and things of that nature if they're not going to be producing them now at least they're on the front of the development and they won't be uh 10 years from now then trying to figure out how to build an electric motorcycle. So that's encouraging. And um, there's two things about the electric bike, though. The one is, is the reason it appeals to Harley owners is the same reason the V twin does, which is that like it's this, it's this torque, full torque at zero RPM. You want to cruise, you want everything to be there right as you get off the gas. And that's, electric to the T. I did want to mention, though, that Victory is also was also working on one as well, so there is another bit of competition there that might push Harley along a little bit further, too. They had at least one race bike, um, whose name I forget off the top of my head, that went up uh, Pike's Peak. That was electric. Well, the, they, uh, Polaris bought uh, Bramo. Bramo, yeah. Oh, they bought Bramo? This, okay. Yeah, so they now, if you look at what used to be the Bramo, now says Polaris on the side of the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've they've completely absorbed Bramo electric bikes into their product line, which I, I stopped is is a fantastic. But I am I I have said this before. I am so impressed with Polaris from the time they they started with Victory. That was the most difficult time to try and introduce a new motorcycle line. You know, to get into the motorcycle industry when they did just ha- was extremely ballsy because it was economically stupid and not stupid uh risky and it there's such a liability and we're such a litigious society that somebody's saying yeah i want to get into uh making a product that can kill people really easily i just think is really admirable and the fact they've yeah. done so well and they rescued indian from its that whole morass of of people that weren't qualified to try and start a business or you know a manufacturing company and the all of the trademark disputes that were involved there they they've done so much great stuff from the RZR side by sides and everything I, I'm very very I'm a Polaris fanboy even though I'm not uh, an owner and probably won't be an owner. It, it's like I, I got to cheer for him. Yeah, was, and it's okay. tough. the The American motorcycle market is it. There are there's a lot of room for a competitor because really, if you look at what we produce, there's not a whole lot in the way of motorcycles. If you look to Europe, there's just so many more. But American buyers 
are so particular. And then uh, Harley Davidson just being so dominant for so long in the American motorcycle marketplace. Um, it's a difficult and kind of uphill batter- battle for Polaris and Victory. Um, but they're producing motorcycles to for really a demographic, I think, that Harley hasn't done well in targeting, and that's the younger generation. And I think that they'll probably do great with that. And then also, yeah, as you mentioned, the side-by-sides are one of the hottest things in off-road right now. So they're doing very well with those. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that they took Indian uh, when I am a victory fanboy i mean i own the biggest one and it's funny when you again going to the thing the last week which vehicle do you or what bike do you aspire to i owned it you know I, yeah. I i got i got my victory tour so and it's such a different bike than a harley it's so so different than the harley in so many different ways it was kind of nice that it had but it, it in ways that are good and bad that's why i was kind of i'm happy to see victory doing things and trying to be to go out different but i'm very surprised to see indian as their low-cost brand i was yeah when they when the scout came out and tried and undercut at by that point everything victory had by six thousand dollars on the bottom it just i was like this is indian used to be the forty thousand dollar bikes from you know tiny little manufacturers and here we've got yeah. you know an obtainable scout the other but, thing too go ahead no, but the thing is is that Indian has been such a start-stop thing over the last 20 years that they were trying to, in a sense, reintroduce the brand once again. And since the the bike they're going after was really the Sportster, um, then yeah, then how are you going to make? How are you going to really have anything against it? Well, you're going to have to compete on price because you have all that brand loyalty that you're that you're fighting against. Um, that said, I, you know, I find the, the styling of, of the Indians much, much better than the Harleys, but the problem still comes, and this is my issue. Uh, it, it, yeah, the weight, uh, I'm sorry, the power is something, but it's the weight is so, even on like a sports or even on the Scout, even though the Scout's technically like 10 pounds lighter, um, it's still way too heavy. It's still 60 to 80 pounds too heavy for what the, for what the bikes are. So. Oh, my vision was 900 or 865 pounds dry. Before you even put in, you know, the six quarts of oil and five gallons of gas, or it was the other way around. That's insane. That that's, is that's, that's the a, weight of my spider. Yeah. Well, yeah. my my victory is fifteen hundred. Your MG is closing on I think eighteen or nineteen. It's it's kind of once you add myself and then you know even my son on the back or something like that. All of a sudden, um, what was nice about the vision though and victory in general is versus Harley in the way they do things, especially against the Sportster. Even though I own a custom with. You know that's tor- it's got the touring stuff on it. Is you have a 900 pound bike that when you lay it down on the side didn't need engine guards because they designed the floorboards in a way that the bike just leaned over at 35 degrees and stopped there. If it made it 45 degrees, it shut the engine off. It, they designed a hundred thousand mile transmission through it in the bike. You know, like well, going back to what I was just saying, they made it so that you could actually one person manhandle that bike back up onto onto two wheels. It was just. There was like little touches going back to the Magnum, which you mentioned a second ago, the and a different market. I prefer the Octane over the Magnum, but I always say about my vision is, is, oh, it had a four speaker stereo. And it's like, oh, what motorcycle has that? Well, mine did. What's the Magnum? The Magnum has 10. Gee whiz. I think it's like, is it 10 speakers? I forget how many. It's, let's just say it's more than four. The, uh, The Magnum is a, is all about audio. It's a bike that's designed for audio. And Pete, you nailed what's probably my favorite of their muscle bikes. Um, Pete shared, or Tashinami, Pete shared the, the picture of the judge. And the judge is definitely by far away. I think that my favorite one uh, of their designs, other than the Victory Tour. You know, I've, but that's the, I've sat on a judge, and it was one of the few bikes that I thought I could live with forward controls in order to have this motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a hard time adapting to forward controls. My Sportster has them. Uh, even the Vision Tour, which is, again, strange, has mid-controls. And it's kind of well, mid for an American bike, that's, but mid-controls. Uh, that's, that's actually not a bad-looking – I mean, I'm not a cruiser guy at all, but that's that's not bad. And the, Yeah, but it's, and it's the, hard what, for me to even consider that as a muscle bike, though. With a 106-cubic-inch engine? Well, when you compare it to a VMAX – you know, it's exactly. not okay. Comparing it to a VMAX is all right. That's apples and oranges, but it's true. Well, no, because VMAX is the ultimate muscle bike. If you look at that, you're looking at what is 
today a muscle bike and and this yeah. isn't ev- this is a cruiser it may be a fairly athletic cruiser but well, yeah and if you look at like the buell firebolt for instance it's not 106 inches but it's muscle is as as far greater than this one and i would never in a million years consider even that a muscle well, and 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 the one advantage the buell had is the fact that it was 100 pounds lighter than everything right. you know at, at 415 or 420 pounds whatever it was that's kind of what made it a muscle bike is the sense of it had no weight the, the yeah but thing, i still felt it was underpowered oh yeah I the only thing that, that makes the judge a muscle bike is that they were trying to emulate old muscle cars you know calling it the judge and marketing it as a what the <laughs> oh then eric's house burned down and it left just pete wayne and garrett <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate victory just for the fact that they actually managed to pull off a, a brand new manufacturer and and pulling that off and there's been a couple others that have tried um rather unsuccessfully and in a blaze of glory uh, that to have have tried to be the new American motorcycles. Uh, Modus comes to mind as being one that tried to not do a cruiser and just – I haven't even followed them in the last couple of years, so I'm not sure where they're at right now. But when I was following them before, they were going to sell their engines as crate motors, which I thought was a really unusual thing even before the first one came off the production line. They were talking about selling crate motors. So it was just that they tried to be very different. Modus is in production, low, low, low production. The problem they have is that their bikes start at like 30, 30 I want to say 35,000. Um, it's like 30, 35,000. That's where they start. Uh, they quickly go over 40. So, yeah, that's, that's going to make it, issue. it's going to make it really tough because there's, uh, you know, that limits the, the potential I mean, yeah. to sell motorcycles down so much yes it has it has a jewel of a v4 engine i mean it's an astonishing piece of engineering um i know people who've seen it who've seen the inside of that engine but it's just it's such a limited production thing it's, it's, there's no way it's they... way too expensive but i have you know looking at uh people that i know from just not people i know people i've read in forums that have ridden it i haven't read one review of this of people who've actually ridden it that didn't say it was a spectacular riding experience. Yeah. Yeah. But and, they look they look really cool too with the red look, valve covers uh, uh, on the side. The the new Porsche 911 is a fabulous car, but it starts at $100,000. I've right. never heard anyone say they don't love driving a 911, but it's still a $100,000 car. Yeah, and I know there are true. a lot of guys that are building the low-cost Cataram uh Seven, yeah, the, the, the Lotus 7, seven replicas. Yeah. yeah, the Lotus Seven replicas that uh, are just think this is the perfect motor for that chassis, and are so jazzed that they're making this as a crate motor, not for bikes, but it's it's a V4 Chevy small block. So it's just mm-hmm. I I can see this having a huge uh, kit car market. <laughs> Yeah, and so I think I would appreciate, like, this company as an example, I think I would appreciate American motorcycle manufacturers if they tried to do something a little bit more bold. And I I get that, that it's really difficult for them to do because, you know, Harley-Davidson uh, enthusiasts, ex- they expect something specific. And so it's difficult for Harley-Davidson to just make something completely different, off the wall, throw some engineering at it. But if they went and made put a V twin or a, I mean a four cylinder V four motor in one of these Harleys with some, you know, more advanced uh, controls on it with some, you know, just better engineering. I think that I would probably gravitate towards the uh, American market a little bit more. I was kind of hoping for that. I'm walking on you guys. Sorry. No, you're I was, with four of us, I, we're going to be walking on each other. It's just the way yeah, it is. that is. <laughs> I was kind of hoping for that in the street. I, and I really was hoping victory was going to go down to a bottom level. The price of motorcycles right now is kind of just, it's becoming uh, unobtainium when a sportster's $12,000 for the configuration I've got for mine. That was why the street was so nice being at six grand and seven for the sub 50. But like you said, though, instead of, um, doing something different they they went back to the tried and true even yeah. so they went back you know to what they knew um 
unfortunately with that one they also went to using a lot of overseas components which is its its biggest failure actually yeah. as a motorcycle it's also as i've described i think i told pete this um that the street is the is the best 80s ujm you can buy right now yeah brand new in 2016 so that's that's kind of damning with faint praise I mean, so the, what if what if uh one of the american manufacturers did like uh with the new mustang gt350 take something traditional the mustang but like borrow some engineering from some of the more exotics and kind of put together a package and i know it would be expensive but and isn't it probably that, isn't wouldn't that what sell the anything. modus is isn't that pretty well much- i was gonna say that's what well, that's really yes. what the mule was when, uh, when ebr yeah. buell that's really yeah. what it was. the later uh, ones yes, yes. but but uh, yeah i i just wish it was a little bit more mainstream i just what i hate about uh, like uh, harley davidson as an example is just that it's always the same and i get that they don't really have um the ability to be as maneuverable as some of the other companies are but i just want to see something special something I, I more have, exotic i have to say i thought that what they have done with the what do they call it the twin cooling on the Rushmore tours yes, with yeah. the water cooled heads and the fact that they were able to package water cooled heads into an almost undetectable change to their configuration that's some astounding engineering not just from the technology side but from the you know knowing your market and bringing something to market that people want to buy yeah, there was a whole lot of work that they put in to make sure they got that right, and you know I think they learned something from the the whole V rod. You know, everybody said, "Hey, we want modern technology. We want you to really, you know, abandon this old old tech V twin." Yeah, and everybody turned it down in droves. And yeah, there I get it. I, I, Why? But the V rod was such a it's funny you're talking about a niche within a niche it is so first off you're going to scare the harley enthusiast you're going to scare the old men you're going to scare the old men with water cooling oh my gosh how dangerous is that and then you're going to scare them with the fact that it's a half it's it's designed with porsche you know great now it's not only water cooled it's half german so it's this is going to just absolutely you know and then the frame see the V-Rod is a case that, although that motor is starting to age, I, says the man who rides a motorcycle that derives its motor back from 1984. But the V-Rod is such a, would be a great motor to see on a lighter bike. You know, it would have been great to see someone like Buell play with or somebody yeah. do something the, a little more sporty. The problem is, is that the what ended up as the V-Rod engine was sort of an evolution of what the V1000 Harley race bike was. Um, and, and the problem is, is that Harley, I can't remember the guys that one of the chief engineers over there decided that he was, you know, he, you know, his, his ego was larger than Elon Musk's. Okay. Let's just put, just to put things in there. And he says, no, this engine design is perfect. When everyone, including, you know, anyone who's ever designed an engine in their life, including Jack Roush told him to his face, your exhaust ports are way too timestamp, timestamp, timestamp large, and that's why you're not competitive. Uh, and I'm using timestamp and replace so you know, so that Pete doesn't have to bleep it out. Um, <clears throat> and that's why the, the engine was. And, and so they decided to take that, and then they enlarged the engine, both physically and cubic inch. And so that's why Eric could never use it in in one of the Buells because he was asked over and over again back in the day, "Hey, when's this going in a Buell?" Um, it was just designed too physically large once it went into the production bike to actually work in a fuel chassis. It, is, a, it so. is one lard-ass engine. I mean, it is yeah. big and fat and wide. Yeah, and still is nowhere near as good as the Rotax motor that he's using now. So, yep. Can we go with a, a smaller, with an American trying to do something different and go back to and a bike that very few people know, except for those of us, would be the Alligator, Dan Gurney's bike. Which is somebody trying to do something very different and again failing miserably at it. But he didn't fail miserably. He he never came out with the second generation of it because there, he decided the market wasn't there. But the actual the 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 Honda six hundred p- single powered alligator they sold out of. He sold every one okay. that he intended to build. So you know how many was that? Um, you know it, it was a couple a thousand. No, no, no. It was like, it was a couple dozen, I think. It was, it was, okay. it built, I think, 20, 24 of them, something like that. 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty interesting looking motorcycle, which I think would probably uh, make you either love it or hate it. But and, and it's, he, it he to was, me is I, I was gonna say it's um, sorry I'm pulling up a picture at the same time to share as we're doing this, but uh, yeah, we're all it's like a recumbent it's like a recumbent bicycle. It's a really yeah. good idea, and there are some people who will get behind it. The problem is is that it's just it just doesn't work mentally for most people. Yeah. And so that would be my biggest challenge with a motorcycle like that is, I, I mean, I, I have no objections to the traditional riding position. Um, and so I would feel super weird, especially in traffic with people staring at you. I would feel really weird riding a motorcycle like this, but I imagine that that low weight, center would make it handle pretty well uh, i mean you have the forward controls but you still have some great low center of gravity yeah i i read an article and i, I think it was in motorcyclist magazine but i can't be sure about that because it's a long time ago but they were actually they took it to a track and they said it felt really weird until you kind of recalibrated all of your yeah. sensory perception of what a motorcycle is supposed to feel with and then they started turning some really hot laps like yeah. keeping up with four cylinder mid sized bikes on something that had a, a six hundred single air cooled, you know, dual purpose motor in it. And yeah. they said it it really re educated them as to how good a motorcycle could feel. They said the problem was it was only good at the track because when you go out riding it, uh one is you can't see in traffic and traffic can't see you. Yeah. And the other thing was no matter how good you try to make the suspension, you cannot use your body to protect yourself from impacts over frost heaves or yeah. potholes or anything. So as long as you were on really smooth pavement, it was really comfortable. But they were just slamming their tailbone every time they hit rough pavement. And there's nothing you can do about it when your feet are just kind of flailing out in front of you. So yeah. And the butt height, the seat height is so low that you can't really put your feet down. You just kind of have to have them out in front of you. And, and I don't know. I feel like that could probably have some challenges with coming to a stop. But, I mean, kudos to them for trying something different. Well, Yeah, to me, it kind of kind of makes me think of a maxi scooter just from the approach yeah. of sitting on it and everything else. Yeah. That's where I – but that came that predated the, the maxi scooter thing by, what, about 10, 15 years, maybe even more. And I know they were going to come out with a – SNS V twin powered second generation and really go into full production with it, but they, I think they just ran the numbers and said it's just going to be not enough of what the original was for a whole lot more money. Yeah, can we mention SNS SNS there for a minute too? Because just uh, being this is a Hooniverse podcast, uh, and we are discussing V twins, American V twins, or American motorcycles. There is the. Um, there is also the Morgan three wheeler, which happens to have, to have thrown a SNS engine on the front. Yeah, you know, in in a very uh, in a way that shouldn't work. You know, there's there's nothing about that car that should work uh, as a British. If if you really want to see see or read a, a good breakdown of of what that is, uh, my friend uh, Zach Bowman did a set a cross country record with Alex Roy right. in uh, in that they drove it was forty one hours and and I've traded emails with zach about it and it, it's one of those things of yeah i agreed to do this and i don't know why i did it. i'm glad i did it but never again because it was it's it's a great thing that i did i can talk about 20 years from now don't talk to me about it now i'm still having ptsd about it or something yeah. along those lines so but it, that's on uh, the drive.com if anyone wants to go look for it um yeah they're cool they're they're the, the morgans are cool for about an hour and a half once a week yeah yeah i i really like and so same what I've said about American V-Twins. I like the application of that engine in the three-wheeler, though. I think that it fits really well. It looks cool. It looks the part. Um, it's probably about as uh, comfortable as riding my DT400 across the country like I was talking about doing. I don't think you would want to, but um, I remember seeing it on Top Gear, and uh, I think Hammond was driving it on Top yeah. Gear, and he looked like he was just having a blast with it. He's the right size for it. Yeah, exactly. I think you have to be sub four foot ten or so to make it comfortable. Well, and S and S also makes the X wedge, 
which is their their non Harley. Well, yeah, that's that's what they're putting in the Morgan. It's it's not a Harley clone motor. It's their own design, and it's fully EPA certified. Uh, anybody can take it, put it in a street bike, and some custom people are doing some really cool things with it. And they make kind of a a it's called the Rolling Thunder frame, which is a uh, soft tail style frame, and it, uh, it it I think it's a fantastic looking engine. It's a little bit longer. It's the V angle is not quite as tight, and there's a lot been a, some really cool like cafe style and street fighter style bikes that have used it, and there's also kind of a lot of these soft tail choppers that use their frame for it, and. It has very little to do with Harley at all. It's their own design, and it's a very cool, very cool motor. Is it a pushrod motor still? I, uh, I think all of their motors are pushrod motors, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, but it, it's then, a. Uh, it really doesn't look at all like the, uh, like the Harley motor. Yeah. I still just lose so much interest with the pushrod look. And design. I, just, I if somebody would make a four cylinder overhead cam motor, I just think it would look and perform so much better. The the closest thing to push rod um, V twin that I can get interested in, in is Motoguzi. Uh, yeah. And now that they've punched it out to a, a little bit larger, they've got the V nine, and even back like the the thousand cc v twins i mean that's but those were the the ones i like were overhead cams they weren't push rods but yeah. um yeah i mean that's about where i get interested in but again it's there's a little more interest the style that i'm more interested in uh hey it's italian it's got style hey you know yeah um but uh but it's certainly as quirky as any other motorcycle and about as reliable as you'd expect an Italian motorcycle to be or from yeah. the seventies and eighties. So Yeah. Well that's that's kind of the, the nice thing about uh, going going back to Harley here, is um I actually called my my street when it had its issues the AMF bowling bike because of Harley's bad years. Mm-hmm. And that's uh one thing that it was just – it's nice to see that they've improved. They finally caught up on their quality. I mean they've done that. It's been some time now that they finally did. You don't have these same problems where you needed to ride in pairs before because you needed somebody to make sure you could ride home. But it was just – that's always been an issue. It's funny. We always talk about Italian bikes being that way. But let's be realistic here. If you go back to the bad days of Harley, it was even worse. So yeah, the, it was always really bad. You buy a Harley, the first place you, you stop as the parts store to buy is Loctite and some extra uh, uh-huh. wrenches. <laughs> Do right. Harley enthusiasts just kind of ignore that period in Harley's history, just pretend it's not there? No. Matter of fact, I'll say no, because uh, okay. I have only an enthusiast from, from since I've owned my victory. Yeah. Is that I've actually gone to – which museum had it? Um, it might be AACA in, in Hershey that has it or it was up in uh, New York they actually had one of the the Italian Harley the Aramachis and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it looking at it going this is my street you know this is the 1983 yeah. version of my street and it was just funny because I actually go out of my way to see the AMF ones it's just you just want to see the complete opposite of yours of what you currently own you want to see right. what they what you know the bad days the same can be said of the American car industry or any car industry for that matter yeah. that, yep. that we've all come around so do you think that the increase in quality uh, led to, in part, or do you think it was a major uh, contributor to the popularity increase in Harley-Davidson through the 90s and 2000s? Or do you think that that was uh, more of just kind of a shift in culture? Or even some of the TV shows that were on, like Orange County Choppers and the Jesse James one. Yeah. I mean, do you think it was really that that kind of drove the popularity increase? No, I think actually I hate to say it as as an owner who's forty three. Um, what drove it in in that period was the baby boomers retiring. Yeah. You know, they had the money to go and spend on a fifteen twenty thousand dollar motorcycle, and you saw that in two thousand eight when they ran out of money, and then all of a sudden Harley's well, sales dropped like I, a rock. I wouldn't say that so much they had money as they they pulled all the equity out of their houses. Right. They they yeah. so, exactly they actually so they that's where I think that was coming from because you didn't really see the motor company trying to do anything um, upgrades until 2006, 2007, when they, you know, got away from carburation, which might as well be NASCAR holding onto it for that long, um, you know, got away from carburation, got and started like 
trickling in technology. It's one of the things about Harley Davidson is, is that there's better tech in these bikes now that they just kind of don't advertise. Yeah. So they just they just kind of you know incrementally improve it. But no, I think in the in the '90s and the early aughts, it was definitely the baby boomers catching up on finally sitting there saying, "I want it." And I think they're also the cause of the same reason we have the, the helmet problem here in PA of not being able to wear them because they never rode them when they were younger. They never wore a helmet, so why wear it now? Well, I yeah. will I will I will disagree a little bit because I can remember uh, 1983. 384 when the Evo first came out and they came out with the uh the the first FX rubber mounted engines and stuff uh, there were a lot of people that that you know would never have considered a Harley and turn around and were like wow they're oil tight they're reliable you can ride them anywhere across the country and they're not going to strand you they don't shake to death they don't shake you to death they're comfortable and overnight uh there were a whole lot of people buying harleys that would not have even considered it uh one two three years early and i can remember a lot of people saying wow i'm actually considering a harley that surprises the heck out of me so that was a uh uh that was also a watershed time where they really upped their game. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think they... Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, oh, no, uh, they rested on their laurels a little bit. My 2015 Sportster 1200C has an Evo motor on it, and it has the same problems because they converted it to fuel injection. My 2007 Boulevard did because it had an older motor that had converted the fuel injection as well. They're both not cold, but they don't like being cold and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I they... I'm still riding an Evo. I mean, it's, you know, 30 years later. And it's, um, although the newer motors, they just don't have a smaller version of the newer motors. I want to know what you guys think about what Victory is going to be able to do in terms of market share with Harley-Davidson and sales and whatnot. Do you think that they're going to be a big player? Do you think that they'll kind of stay a kind of a lower niche market? Do you think that they'll be kind of, maybe we could consider them one of the big two or big three in American motorcycle manufacturing? By default, they already them, are. <laughs> yeah, well. by default. Um, but if you combine them with Indian, there's without Indian, they sold one tenth of what Harley sold. Yeah, or one twelfth, actually one twelfth. Every month, Harley sold more bikes than Victory sold in a year. Yeah. So where do I see them going? I I really like to see them go down and put a, a bike. Well, they've got it now um, with the Octane. Put some bikes that are more in reach of normal human beings, and yeah. that might finally start selling them and putting more out there. They've never been able to get their dealers to kind of – and my dealership was great. My Victor dealer was awesome. But it's it kind of feels like when you go in there that it's kind of – it's offhanded. You know, if you're here for snowmobiles. You're here for jet skis. You're right. here for this kind of stuff. You know, oh, and there's also Victory server in the corner. Yeah. So that kind of hurts them too. They don't have that same – you know, when you go to uh, – the thing about Harley is, is it's the experience and um, – you know, it's the ownership experience. You know, yeah. there's a whole bunch more to it. And I don't know if you can catch up on that, although they're trying. And I give players all the credit in the world. When they put all of their manufacturing outside the U.S., they kept the motorcycles here in South Bend, in South Bend, um, Indiana. I think it's South Bend, where they have I it. I thought it was, it was actually Spir- offered. Spirit Lake, Iowa. Spirit Lake, Iowa. I'm sorry. Not yeah, South I was going to say, I'm from, I'm from South Bend, and I'm like, no AM General. But that's yeah. that's the only manufacturing left in that town. I actually offered to go out and pick the bike up when I won the division. I actually offered to go out and pick it up out there and ride it at the 2,000 miles home. Um, and they, they said, uh, you can, but we'll make it easier for you. That's, so I don't know. I, I don't see them ever becoming more than a niche. Garrett, to answer yeah. your question, I think it's not a question of is are they going to grow to the size of Harley? I think over the years that come and we have well, more and more boomers – falling off the other side of the riding age spectrum, I see Harley getting smaller and getting closer to the size of some of these other smaller manufacturers. Do you think that Victory will influence what Harley is doing with their designs? I mean, do you think that Victory, because Victory obviously is... um, they have to do something different because they're a small niche market. So they have a little bit, I think a little bit better um, edge on the design and they're using a little bit different technology. Do you think that that's going to influence Harley? 
I don't. I, I can't. Um, Harley's Harley's got Harley's shtick, and they're going to keep doing yeah. their shtick. And they will in victory too. Unfortunately, the one victory that was different was the Arlen Ness Vision so, Four, and they went so back, and now the cross country replaced it. So, the, and so let me throw something out at you guys. Now that now that Polaris owns Bremo, and we talked about that. If you're if you're spending what did they they paid forty or fifty million dollars for Bramo I think and they're going to drop another forty or fifty million right away or they did into R and D you're going to want to spin that in as many ways as you can so don't you then and can't you preempt the the electric Harley motorcycle by putting together something for whether it's Indian or whether it's Victory as an electric cruiser motorcycle is something different to leverage that technology and further separate yourself from Harley, even though they, that Harley has shown this bike off. We actually have the technology. We can do it now or, or something very close to the near future. You know, one thing that I really was impressed with, with the, the new liquid cooled motor that's in the octane and the, especially the Indian scout, it doesn't have fake cooling fins. Yeah, that is to me that really was a departure from trying to make a modern motorcycle look like something old and traditional, even though these were cruisers. I I was very impressed with that. They and they both of these motorcycles have different cylinders and had, you know, the design and neither one of them have cooling fins. And I thought that that's kind of finding your own uh visual language that's not imitating either old Indians or Harleys because Indians looked an awful lot like Harleys except for you know the 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 big skirted fenders and stuff like that as far as the engines were concerned they looked a lot alike and they did something different and I say bravo to them for that again a ballsy move yeah yeah, and personally, I think that they look so good with just the smooth cylinder walls. I think it brings just, like you said, a little bit of a modern touch to a classic design. I think it fits the bike really well. It looks great. And they're overhead cam, you know? Yeah, They're, they're exactly. not pushrod motors. Thank the Lord. Now, if they just come <laughs> up with something that didn't have forward controls, I'd I'd be jonesing <laughs> for it. Yeah. Well, it's well, probably... Good place to wrap up. We're probably about what forty-five, fifty minutes into the show, and yeah, I think we've covered a good chunk of all of this. The only thing That's we didn't cover, which I really wanted to bring up, is to talk about. You know, we're talking about. Well, are they going to be a big manufacturer? They're going to be a little manufacturer. Are they just going to be a knit? We need to talk about Rocon. Rocon has been building the Trailbreaker under a whole couple different uh, corporate uh, structures for decades. And it's still, you can still go out and buy a. They still make it? Oh, yeah. You can go out and buy oh a 2016 Rokon Trailbreaker. They've got a couple of different models, one with like ag tires, one with smooth kind of, you know, uh, turf tires on it, and you know, racks and maybe, all kinds of stuff. There's maybe little... the reason this is so surprising to me is because it looks exactly the same as it has forever. And so maybe I see a picture and I'm like, oh, it's one of those old Rokon. But I mean, I my mind is blown right now. I'm just about ready to go and buy one. I had no idea they still made them. Rokon.com. They're, wow. they're out there. He still. just made my day. <laughs> are they still two wheel drive? Oh, they yeah. are two wheel drive. Oh, huh? yeah. And they, oh, they have some with with uh, leading link front suspension now. So they've got some extra suspension on the front end, so they they go a little smoother, and they're still the same two wheel drive CVT weird thing that they always were. And I love the fact that they're still selling them. And if you want something like that, there is no other option. You have to buy from Rokot. You're the man of the day. <laughs> Today you are. This just changed my world. I had no idea. They are the goofiest but neatest things. They look like they could drive on top of water with the inflation of the tires and how big they are. As long as you can keep it balanced, they will float. Really? Yeah. You have wow. to be a trials rider to keep them up unless you're in the water holding it up, you know, standing in the swamp. But they will not sink because they've got what? the big, big So two wheels. questions. How much do these cost and where does a person get one? 
Um, I was actually just looking at used ones on eBay when, because you brought that up. They actually have a 2014 on here for six grand. Yeah, they're, they're, oh my they're, they're God. like seven, maybe I won't buy one. <laughs> like seven, seven or eight grand new, I think. Eighty. Is this like a Briggs and Stratton style motor in them? Yeah, it's it's some kind of four stroke single industrial motor. I don't know exactly the specs okay. on it. Um, I'm looking at their website. The Trailbreaker, which is the one with the front suspension, uh, seventy three fifty. Wow. And it's got a Kohler two hundred cc seven horsepower engine. If I just had money to blow, <laughs> I would buy a whole fleet of these. Oh, this might be like the uh, hipster version of the TW200 for me. Except Actually, that I'm it's, of the except hipster that it's version not of the street legal. The big thing that limits them is that it's not street legal. Well, okay. In Washington, uh, you can – they passed a law in 2014 in Washington State where you can take a vehicle that was designated for off-road use only, have it inspected – by a repair shop, um, the inspection can't cost more than $100 as long as it has DOT brake lines, DOT headlight, taillight, um, basically all the components that it would need to be street legal, you can register it for street use. And the problem is the tires, because you're probably going to have a hard time finding DOT tires to fit it. You know what? If I had one of these and I had the money to buy one i would probably figure out a way to put some <laughs> i think it's probably called jc whitney okay yeah exactly i'm <laughs> sure i could a, find something they do have a picture of a guy who rode one across country and the tires on it aren't the, the big knobbies so he managed to somehow find them well they, yeah. they yeah. do sell a version with turf tires on it that are kind of smooth golf course tires so wow they look like like big you know uh ag trailer cart tires now I know what I'm doing for the rest of the evening. I'm looking at <laughs> pictures of these things and all the different ways that people are riding them and jumping them. And oh my gosh, pretty neat. I like it. I guess, yeah, like I said, this is kind of what you were saying—the hipster version. I'm thinking that this is the, you know, the hipster version of the of the Grom that everybody wants right now. Yeah. You know, this goes the, this goes the other way entirely, and you get yeah, to be no American kidding. at the same time. Yeah, that's true. You could fly your flag behind it on Flag Day today. Nice. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think we need to wrap up our. I think we've covered all of the American manufacturers to some extent now. So, and and rest in peace, Cleveland motorcycles. Oh, are they? they gone, uh, no, gone they're completely still now? around. I thought they were officially dead. Dead. No, I I actually just looked at 2015 and 2016. So I think the CCW still exists in yeah, some but form. They're they're around. Johnny Pag is still around, but they're not manufacturing. They're just importing. As they told me them, yes, they make their they make the accessory parts in the U.S. And it's like, yeah, that's great. They yes. actually told me why they don't make them in the U.S. because they could not get an American mark, uh, motor. The original version, they could not get an American motor. I talked to the CEO of that company, hmm. and that was the reasoning. Um, I I take that with a grain of salt, but that was the logic. Was is they could not get one. They could not find an American manufacturer who would take on the liability of that motor, so they had to go overseas. But the build quality is awful. It's a shame. They look yeah. really nice. Yeah. And on that bombshell. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen. Happy Flag Day to all of our listeners. Leave any messages that you want. iTunes, Facebook, Universe, anywhere you want to get a hold of. We'll see you next week and stay in touch. 